Hey, welcome to another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm your host, Jim Ballman, business coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you too can live your dream lifestyle. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. I coach entrepreneurs and small business owners at all levels how to build a business of their dreams so they too can live life on their terms. Today's episode is brought to you by my free Facebook group called Build Your Dream Business Now. We have right now, as I'm doing this, over 200 entrepreneurs. Uh, it's just a wonderful kind of a virtual mastermind group doing all kinds of training, and, and I'm participating in there every day. Become a member at dreambizgroup.com, dreambizgroup.com. We'll redirect you to the Facebook group. And I'm really excited. This is actually my last interview of 2017, and I'm excited to talk to Courtney Ream. He's got a wonderful new book coming out and quite an impressive bio. Let me introduce him. We'll bring him right on. Courtney Ream is an American entrepreneur, brand operator, and the co-founder of the Los Angeles-based investment firm M13, a native of Illinois. Courtney was a former investment banker at Goldman Sachs, where he worked with companies like Under Armour, Vitamin Water, and Procter & Gamble just to name a small company there. During his tenure at the company, Courtney worked on the merger of Allied Domecq and Pernard Ricard, I guess I hopefully got that right, an experience that sealed or that seeded his investment in eventually creating his own alcohol company called Vive. Can't wait to ask him about that. And he founded that, by the way, with his brother, Carter. And, uh, you know, you got quite a long bio, but, I mean, you're obviously a, a very successful entrepreneur. Courtney, thank you for coming on my program. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. Honored to be the last person of the uh, of the year here. <laughs> I know, as we approach the holidays here. Um, so you, got a, you and your brother, um, Carter, have a new book coming out called Shortcut Your Startup, and um, the subtitle is Speed Up Success with Unconventional Advice from the Trenches, which I totally love. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your book. Yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, you know, we felt like we were at that place in life where we are, uh, I guess, old enough to hopefully have some uh, experience and thus wisdom being at the, at the outer, outer edge of being millennials, but hopefully young enough to still get it. And I think we felt like between having been investment bankers at Goldman Sachs, having started a couple of our own companies, and uh, also been kind of investors, board members, that sort of thing, we had a unique uh, vantage point and position in the world and really wanted to, uh, I guess, hopefully empower the next generation of entrepreneurs and also just shed light on how we're seeing businesses created now because it's it's very different now than it was um, 10 years ago or even five years ago. And so we didn't think anyone had kind of quite captured that, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a very – interesting next five or ten years so that's the goal with our um book shortcut your startup that's coming out here soon uh january 16th but already already up on amazon and available for pre-order now how exciting you know um so i've written a few books myself and i got to tell you that it's a it is it it's quickly becomes a labor of love because you you kind of go into it i don't know with rose colored glasses we got a lot to share and then you finally get to 10 pages, you go, holy crap, i got to do 200 more. You know, it's really, it's an amazing time suck, but it's a, it's a, as we all know, a book is a phenomenal tool. And um, what I really like about your title, and I, I admit to not having read it yet because it's not out, but the unconventional advice from the trenches. So you and your brother um, aren't just writing a book and kind of talking about philosophy and kind of pie in the sky, what's possible as an entrepreneur. You guys have actually had quite a lot of success already. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think good ideas are good ideas or good thoughts, but again, like you said, hopefully it's coming from a place of um, we've actually been in the trenches, we've actually done it, we've we've made plenty of mistakes that people can learn from, but I think um, we do think it's kind of unique, our, our position having worn a couple different hats and really seen it firsthand, so I think that's what makes it unique, and I also feel like you know, part of what our book's about is it's definitely a lot of new thoughts and information, and then there's also a lot of thoughts where we said, hey, these are things we've learned or read or, or synthesized through other people, um, you know, even like a Tim Ferriss or someone like that or, or a Tony Robbins who's a one of, someone that we look up to a lot. But, you know, in the world we live in now, it's just sometimes so hard not to get the information but how you distill it down, synthesize it, and then actually move forward in action things. So we're really big on just trying to take everything that's out there and put it in a, in a user-friendly format. We call it, you know, we call the chapter Startup Switch-Ups, putting it into something that people can easily, um, you know, hopefully follow and use as a playbook. You know what's stunning to me is the number of um, different technologies that are available, platforms, social media, and I mean, life is changing rapidly, and I think the one of the first times I realized that was um, – I'm, I'm struggling with the who it is, but there was a, a singer, a, a young kid, I think he's 15. Um, I don't know if I can think of his name. He's been in a lot of trouble, but he actually launched an entire career. I mean, millions and millions of records and albums became quite a big deal, and he did it on his own without a record company through social media, initially through YouTube yeah. and things like that. I mean, Jim, you're, back you're dating the- yourself a little bit. I feel like you might be talking about Justin Bieber. I am, thank you, because yeah. I'm I, yes, before my time. I think it was only, only the biggest time. pop sensation of the last probably five years, and then we we actually do uh, do some work with uh, with the guy who manages Justin Bieber, Scooter Braun, who's mentioned in our book. So that's that's why it rang a bell. But yeah, no, it's amazing the the way people can be discovered, whether that's artists or companies or brands. So I, I think your point's spot on. So what is different about building a consumer brand today? I mean, I'm curious to if, you know, also talk about your uh, your alcohol brand. What is that a wine or is that vodka or what is what is these? Yeah, so I guess uh, I'll answer that first. Then I'll answer what, what kind of is different about building a consumer brand now. Um, yeah, our first company that we started after Goldman Sachs, my brother and I uh, both worked there. I was a couple years older. Worked in consumer products, so helped do things like for people listening, probably know like an Under Armour. I helped take them public, worked on Vitamin Water's first deal, and then decided that we saw an opportunity to do something in kind of the spirit space that was focused on, I guess we'll say, um, we're careful to say healthy because it's it's alcohol, but better for you. If, if you believe people are going to always drink, let's give them a better option, both as a product in the bottle and as a company. So we started what was the first organic and, uh, I guess, kind of sustainable uh, infused vodka called Vive. It had acai in it, some other ingredients um, that were uh, beneficial, and then we did a bunch around sustainability and being eco-friendly as a company. So we think it was kind of something different. It was an, it was an incredible, as you said earlier, labor of love and tons of work, but learned a ton, and thankfully we're, uh, we someone was interested enough to buy it uh, a couple years ago, and so we, uh, we've been working on other things since. Well, that's exciting. So... Um... So you started that from scratch and then ran it up there and built it and then sold it. I mean, that's kind of the American dream in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, uh, always good when the first one is a is a success, but I also think we believe that 
a lot of times, you know, we, we have some friends that I know only invest in second-time entrepreneurs because only one of two things has happened. Either you hit it the first time and clearly know what, what you're doing, or you unfortunately were not so lucky the first time but had a ton of learnings and, um, you know, benefited from all that and are probably going to nail it the second time. So, yeah, I think it's just a great experience for everyone to go through in life to start something, see it through, and then actually um, sell it. But it definitely is the, the, the journey. I have um, amongst my listeners a lot of uh, new entrepreneurs and, and, you know, people who are six figures to mid-six figures. But I also realize I've got a lot of uh, people, newbies, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call them. What are some of the key questions uh, that you should ask yourself before starting a business? Yeah, we, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think we actually have in our, in our kind of introduction or forward, we actually have what we call the entrepreneurial readiness test where we actually kind of try to talk you out of starting something and then circle back and say, hey, if you're not spooked, then here, here's, you know, let's get after it and let's, let's get into the chapters. Because I think, um, you know, it's just that fine line between you ask most even successful entrepreneurs, they have known everything they know now. Would they have even done it? And the answer is no for most people. But that's mm-hmm. even people that have been immensely successful. So I think it's, I think it's knowing just enough and make sure you've really thought through your idea, researched, you know, the the market size, the product market fit, your unique selling proposition, all that, and then balancing that with. Um, you know, I still just see so much analysis paralysis where you overthink it, and therefore your feet are kind of stuck in the mud. So for me, it's not about getting every decision right. It's just about progress. You know, we have a a part in our book, a switch up where we kind of say, um, you know, test something, learn, iterate, move, you know, repeat, repeat cycle. Cause it's, it's not about getting it all right. It's about kind of what you're learning and then what you're tweaking and then looking for those key insights off of which you can um, build a product and eventually a business. That's pretty cool. What are what are some of the stages that you go through? And I'm but I'm a huge fan of the research. Most people just get so wedded to their original idea and they kind of go headlong into it without even finding if there's a market for it. But um, what what are some of the stages when when you're dealing with uh, startups? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the first one we talk about is getting to the trenches, and we kind of call it investigation. Uh, one of my favorite anecdotes in the book is uh, a friend of ours who worked at Goldman Sachs and decided he kind of wanted to start like a Chipotle for Italian, um, which kind of makes a lot of sense, but uh, didn't do what, what I would have probably done, which is do a bunch of research, read reports, blah, blah, blah. He actually quit his job at Goldman Sachs and go, went, to, went to quit his job at Goldman Sachs, maybe fibbed his resume a little bit, and went to go work at a Chipotle for three months, where he eventually decided – Despite the fact that he really wanted to do this for various reasons, he just couldn't make the unit economics and the business make sense, so ultimately decided not to do it, which in some ways I give him even more credit for because, gosh, to leave a a pretty stable job on Wall Street and to take that bigger risk and then to ultimately have the courage, I believe, to say, nope, I'm not going to actually go forward with it is, is a really tough thing. But I think that's always kind of the first step is to really get in the trenches and do research, research, more research. Yeah, that's that's quite a testament to. Uh, I mean, that's really a brilliant thing is to go in there and learn as much as you can about the business. Um, one of the things uh, you also write in your book about Courtney is one percent better is a thousand percent better. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, we we live in. Um, I'm glad you brought up this this switch up because it's one of our favorite startup switch ups. But is that, you know, I think we 
I think the we use a lot of phrases in our book, but I think one of them we use is um, um, do what you do best and outsource the rest um, because we believe the difference between good, better, and best has never been more pronounced. But it's a little bit the way, um, you know, a company like General Electric, like GE, as a lot of people probably know, they used to have the mindset, if we can't be number one or number two in an industry, we should just get out of it. And it served them really well for a really long time. Obviously, it's been one of the more successful companies of the last half century or century. Um, but even a company like that has struggled because it is. It, we just live in this world where if you're only kind of so-so at any of your core competencies, that's probably not good enough. Even good might not be good enough. You really have to be best or best in class. And so, um, you know, and, and we talk about how nuanced these differences are. So uh, a lot of the examples we give in, the, in that chapter uh, around digital marketing and the way people introduce brands, but it's the, the, the math kind of goes something like if you can just actually have uh, a 1% or 2% better open rate and then a 1% or 2% better click-through rate and you multiply that by final purchases, that can result in you know something like 50% higher purchases. And so I think a lot of people tend to go, oh, our click-through rate, uh, CTR, or, or our lifetime value is only up by a dollar or two, but that magnified by a large enough audience ends up being a huge difference. So it's these 1%, 2 3% differences that actually make all the difference for companies these, these days. Yeah. Uh, you said earlier when I couldn't think of Justin Bieber, I dated myself. Well, I, I am because <laughs> I read all of uh, I read all of Jack Welch's books. I mean, that was in his heyday when he. I mean, he really made GE. And he used to say not only that, not only with if they can't be one or number two, that was good. But that's how he used to thin down his executive levels and things like that. If you weren't number one or number two. Um, you were probably let go and they replaced you because they always wanted to keep pushing for that for, for perfection. I thought that was both harsh and, and kind of realistic at the same time. He really built that into a powerhouse company. Yeah, and I think he was ahead of his time with that. But now now just, you know, with, with brands being digitally native and built through the Internet, there's real kind of quantitative medics, uh, metrics behind that um, mindset because – you know, we, we see it with, with things where you check brands and ROIs where it's really easy to measure, hey, that wasn't, that wasn't good enough, or hey, we need a 2% conversion improvement, and then you can really test and measure on these things and continue to try to iterate and improve. Yeah, another chapter in your book you write about, think milestones, not time. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this one is, um, is pretty uh, prescriptive and pretty straightforward, but I think it's an important one. Uh, this one actually, this startup switch-up came from, uh, a dear friend of ours who is the founder of Pop Chips, um, chip brand that a lot of people will, will certainly know that was pretty innovative in its own right. But, um, you know, we see a lot of entrepreneurs who say, I want to raise $100,000 or a million dollars, and the rea the answer tends to be, oh, I want to raise $100,000 and it will last me for a month or a year or six months. And we've just seen it too many times now where we really think it's important that you raise based on milestones because it, it frames it differently, both for your employees, for the founder, and then ultimately for investors. So we, we're a big fan of rather than saying, oh, we're going to raise $500,000 and that will last for 18 months, we're a big fan of saying we're going to raise $500,000 to acquire our first customers, and if we acquire them at a you know, customer acquisition cost of X, then we'll probably need more money to go from 1,000 customers to 10,000 or something like that. It's just a very different mindset because what ends up happening is, you know, we are, most brands end up needing more money, 
and investors always kind of panic, but you can need more money for good reasons or bad reasons. You can need more money sooner because the thing's taken off, and, and sometimes people just tend to be a little myopic and say, but wait, you told me this is going to last 18 months, and, and we're big believers that um, time is the new money, and it's easy to say, I think, when you're a company or a person that's well-capitalized, but we really advocate for even people that seemingly feel like they have no money, you really have to try to prioritize your money over your time because the speed uh, with which brands are now being built really puts the emphasis on getting to market smartly and being, um, you know, prioritizing that time and being quick yet smart with your decisions so you can't let it be all about money like it was, I think, kind of in the past. Right. Now, I believe I read in your bio you were in mergers and acquisitions and that too. And you know what um, is interesting is that when you build a successful business, it doesn't always mean a successful exit, right? So how how should people, and, and I'd be curious your answer to this, when should you know entrepreneurs be thinking about their exit as they're building a business? When is too soon? Yeah, um, well, it's, it's it's the last chapter of our book, um, which is about what you called it, which we said, you know, building a successful company doesn't always translate to a successful exit. Uh, and it's amazing how many times we've seen this. We've seen brands that get to big numbers, like 15, 20 million in sales, and then there's no one to buy it. And they're surprised. And a couple times that I've been a part of it, I've I've not been surprised because I, I lovingly say you've built a company that's, you know, 15 million in sales, but it's very unstrategic kind of, I call it so what sales, because it doesn't really fill a need or make a strategic buyer go, oh, I have to have this and, and here's why. So, yeah, we have a, a bunch of thoughts in there. I think one of them is that, you know, you should, if you're even thinking about a sale, you should probably just assume that that it takes, on average, you know, 12 months. I've seen them quicker, but a lot of times I would say 6 to 18 months is the range. So just getting out in front of it, getting your, your house in order, um, we have a whole section that talks about pre-courting the buyers. I, I'm totally transparent in that our first company that we sold, nobody was banging down our door, and we thought that was a really bad sign and that that meant we weren't going to be able to sell it. But it turned out once I, um, I had to say, did a little flirting or um, left a trail of breadcrumbs, you know, people just needed to kind of be made aware of certain things, and there was, there's always perceptions, good or bad, about what, what a brand does or doesn't do. So it's about leaving those breadcrumbs and, and really making people understand why a certain business does make sense, and, but it really requires proactive work on your part to, to pre-court those buyers. What does um, – you have a thing in your uh, – I forget what chapter it is, but gain buy-in with heart-based momentum. I mean, is that about building the brand or with consumers, or what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, I think we just live in this world where um, it's part of the reason we're writing the book rather than say, okay, we've got these learnings and these trade secrets, we'll keep them to ourselves. You know, it used to, I think that used to be the way of, oh, it's the secret recipe of Coke and no one knows it. But we live in such a, a transparent, open-source world now that – most people would agree, I think, that you're going to get further through collaboration than through, um, you know, trying to kind of coddle your precious idea and keep these things a secret. So for us, um, it's really, you know, consumers are smart now. Consumers want to know where product comes from, what it stands for, what your beliefs are. Even if you're selling a, a shoe brand, they might want to know, do you support Trump or not, right? And that was not something that I feel like was front and center as much, Um until, you know, this kind of recent movement toward an open source kind of world. So we're a big believer in those brands like our friend 
uh, Blake, who started Tom's Shoes. You know, it's an incredible product, an incredible story, but it's so important to kind of gain that emotional connection. And, and, and we actually say your first most important um, customers are actually your employees because if they don't have buy-in, it's pretty hard to go ask them to go out and sell with all their heart to customers or consumers or whatnot. Um, but it's it's so important because you can't have a bad product and create emotional connection, but just having a good product without that emotional connection is, is not enough anymore. So it's really important to uh, create that emotional connection where someone says, hey, I love this product, and it stands for something. And that's how these things go viral, and people really share that word-of-mouth marketing. Yeah. Is that the one that um, for every pair of shoes you buy, they donate one? Yeah. Is that Tom's? Exactly or that... the brand. Okay. So, yeah, incredible story, incredible guy. And, um, yeah, but I think were it not for that social mission, I think he would, he would have a shoe company that would still be successful, but it just wouldn't have the viral coefficient because people – wouldn't be so passionate and take so much badge value, um, you know, in wearing the shoes. But I think what I think the authenticity of your brand and what your brand stands for and the integrity of it and the social good are really just you know more important than ever. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful story. Um, gosh, this has been such a phenomenal interview. I want to try and squeeze in one more question if I could. How do you? Yeah, this is a question I get an awful lot. How do you attract investors? to a startup like what's the what's the magic sauce there <laughs> well you know that's that's a that's one i could talk about for days but i think um it, it all depends on what you're looking for in the situation i think if i had to boil it down just since she just asked me about the um the, the switch up on gaining heart, heart-based momentum i think if i had to only have one trait it would be storytelling for investors because I just had someone in my office who had a, a, a good idea. It's kind of like a, a WeWork type of uh, spinoff or offshoot. A bunch of people are doing it. But he has a really good idea. And uh, But the guy just kind of – it's not that he had no presence. It's just something something about the way he told his story and what he wanted to do just didn't resonate with me. And I know a couple of people he met with, and they felt the same way. And at the end of the day, when you really boil it down, I, I think like most people that are seasoned investors – I would happily take what I believe to be a great person, an entrepreneur, with what seems like a pretty good idea versus a pretty good entrepreneur with what seems like a great idea. And so when you're, uh, I guess, pitching or, or meeting with an investor, I think it's really important to just remember, if I, I like to call it storytelling versus selling, and it's a nuance, but I think it makes you go into a meeting much more saying, I just want to share who I am and what my vision is versus like I'm pitching you something, because pitching to me, it's kind of like networky, like it implies like I'm kind of selling you something versus not everyone might be a right fit, but it's always good to share the story. But the real good entrepreneurs find ways to share that story and you just walk away going, yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the exact product or idea, but I know this person's going to make it work. I want to, I want to back them. And that's how the best people kind of get money. So I think really being comfortable in your own skin and really giving off that, uh, aspect of being a good storyteller is the best thing you can do at, at, at the onset. I totally agree. People by people, you know, Lori Grenier and Shark Tank goes, I can tell in an instant if it's your, if it's a hero or zero. And I often know she wants to put in, if you're a hero or zero, but she probably right. won't say that on TV, but that's right. kind of what, what she means. Um, yep. Man, Courtney, I've really enjoyed this half hour. It's been phenomenal. I wish you all the success with your book. So how can people, uh, connect and learn more about you and uh, your brother Carter, and, and most importantly, how can they get the book? 
Yeah, please. Thank you for asking. Um, so, again, the book is called Shortcut Your Startup. It's out January 16th, um, but available right away for pre-order on Amazon. Our website is just shortcutyourstartup.com. You can contact us that way. Uh, and our, our whole call is called M13. So we always love to uh, hear from people. They're always welcome to reach out. Great. Courtney, thanks so much for being on my program. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Happy holidays. Hey, folks. That- Oh, you too. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special edition of Dream Business Radio. Watch for another great episode this time next week. Until then, my name is Jim Palmer. I am the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care.